I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Oh, how I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer because you satisfy me more. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings and I cling to you because your strong hand, your strong right hand holds me securely. How do you top that? Maybe not even David, but um, you have a copy of that prayer in front of you on your seat. You may refer to it if you like. In this prayer, David proclaimed that God, he is his God. He says, God, you're my God. And then he goes on in verse 1 saying that I search for you and my soul longs for you. No water is good enough. It's like water, but I still want you more than water. And verse 5, it says, My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. Feast. Food is important, but still not good enough. God, you are better. Verse 3, it says, Not even life. Your love is better than life itself. Think, a normal person who is stranded in the desert, in the wilderness, with the hard ground as his bed, stone at his pillow, as his pillow, and the sky as his canopy, and in this long desert, that big desert that go, goes on for miles and miles with no end in sight, a normal person will be wanting water, food, and shelter but not David. And verse 6 tells us that at night he lies awake thinking of God. In the wilderness at night, that is the most dangerous time. Shifting shadows, who knows what's going to come out. Maybe some of Saul's soldiers will come and attack David. Wild animals. But instead of being afraid, he sings in the shadow of God's wings. He knows that God's shadow is where he's going to hide. He spends the entire night recalling how God touched his life in the past. Verse 2 says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He keeps his mind filled with God. Not the stuff that's around him, what he's afraid of. How does a prayer like that just kind of flow and roll out of someone's mouth? Even Josh had to look at his notes, his phone, to read it. How does it all just flow out of David's mouth like that? I don't think there's any magic formula. 
but I, as a novice myself, I'm just beginning to learn. But I really believe that as I share these three facts with you, that you'd be convinced, as I, I was convinced, as a Christian, it is normal. It is normal to be talking to God heart to heart like that. It is our purpose, it is our calling, it is our privilege, it is our destiny. We were meant to be insiders, not outsiders. The first fact, intimacy with God. The scribes asked Jesus, which command is the greatest and the most important one of all? And Jesus replied in Mark 12, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But what's left out, most of us start with that verse, but what's left out is a little phrase that goes right before and it says, you shall. Just not love the Lord your God, but you shall love the Lord your God. And you know what? That's a command. That's not an option. That is not a suggestion. And for someone who's like me that's very undisciplined, it is good to have a hard, concrete command right there just says, just love the Lord your God. And if you want to obey this, if you want to be able to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, you've got to get close to him to do that. You can't love someone like that from a distance across the room. You can't love someone like that by analyzing the Bible. Technically, you need to draw close to him. I'm a doer and I like checklists. I don't know where I got it from. <clears throat> I'd, rather, I'd rather do stuff for God than go to him. Um, maybe I learned it from my mom. She taught me that whenever you visit someone, you have to bring something with you. Don't ever go empty-handed. That is very rude. So I usually buy a box of fruit. That's kind of standard. and it's Good for you. It's healthy. And I feel the same way. I kind of don't want to go to God until I've done a few things. I feel pretty good about myself. And then I can go to him and have something to show for it. But that's not what God wants. He just wants you. He just wants me. His love language is quality time. He wants you to just sit and hang with him. You don't have to say a whole lot. And when you hang out with him, usually he whispers. You know why people whisper? Because they want you to get closer. He whispers so you would lean closer and listen to him. Fact number two, God never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself, that he hasn't modeled himself. We love because he first loved us. That's from 1 John 4, 19. We draw close because he first drew close to us. He planned, he came close to us, he did everything, he stalked us. He just had it all. He just wants so much to be close to us. Um, some of the most common dating questions I, I hear from people, young people, are, you know, should the guy or the girl make the first move? Should the guy or the girl say I love you first? 
And should the guy or the girl text after the first date first? But you know what? <laughs> With God, I'm not going to give you the answer, but God, He does everything first. And He's not a 50-50, I'll meet you halfway. He goes all the way. He puts His neck on the line. He goes all the way for us. And when you read through this Bible that you have, an app that you have, the Bible app, you can see that. You can see examples of that. All the messies, the messy people that he goes after. Moses who stutter, Jacob who's a cheater and a traitor, uh, um, Peter who denied him, and it just lists after lists of people who are mess, but yet he goes after them. He doesn't stop. He pursues them. And we are part of that mess, and he pursues us. And whenever I think about that, I, I'm wrecked. Why would he go all the way for me? Knowing what he's going to get. You know, in a relationship, you don't know what you're going to get. You take a risk because you don't know. You're hoping that it's going to work out, but you know, God knows what I'm made of. He knows what I'm made of. He knows what he's getting into. But he still comes. He still pursues. To the point where he gave his best, his own life, his son's life, to die on the cross so that that bridge can be restored. An intimate conversation takes two, both to say yes. And God has already said yes, and he's proposing to you. Are you going to say yes? Have you said yes to him? And if you haven't, I introduce you, I invite you, I implore you to do that today. As an act, people, you know, in calling, they ask, raise your hand and whatever. But if you have a pen, take a pen and just scribble yes across that prayer that you have. If you've never done it, let this moment, let this day be the time when you say yes to God. And uh, Ken and I will be back there, and if you want to talk, we can talk to you later. We would love to talk to you. Intimacy with God, it's God's idea. It originated with him. It did not originate with us. It's not a desire of mankind, but it's from him. He wrote the book, this book. He wrote the book on intimacy. So he knows what he's talking about. The third fact. You can find that in Songs of Song, Solomon, Book of Solomon. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage. You hold my heart hostage with one glance of your eyes. God, the powerful creator of the universe, is saying he's undone by one glance from you. Who are we for God to be so ravished, so undone, so drawn, so thrilled that we give him one glance? Um, there are many challenges that we live with uh, for those who have autism. And uh, one of the challenges is eye contact. To this day, we still don't know why. There are many um, theories. Maybe it's because when they look in the eyes, they feel pain for some reason. Um, 
bored. They just can't concentrate on when they're talking to you. They can't talk and look at you at the same time. Uh, who knows what the reason is? But that's a problem. And you know, in real life, adults, eye contact is important when it comes to communication. So as part of the therapy adjustment, um, we have to work on that. And it took hours. And in the beginning, we sit him um, in, a, in a plain room that's very quiet with no distractions on the wall, just a table, him and a therapist. And she would say, look at me, and he's not. And then he, she would have to do some prompting. She would have to turn his head towards her face and try to get him to look. And, and if he does, after many hours of trying, if he does, he immediately gives him a reward and say, that's really good, that's really good. And then the next step to work on is to be able to hold that eye contact for a couple seconds. And the key, and what our goal is to get it up to about three to five seconds. Look at me, keep looking, that's great, that's great, keep looking at me, that's really wonderful. And then after that, then we have to generalize. And the generalizing is being able to take that same skill he's mastered in this room, isolated room, to the outside world. So maybe now we'll move into the living room where there's a TV playing, and then later on we'll move into the outside where there are winds and whatever else, cars going by, all that distraction so that he can still concentrate and still be able to look at me. So after all those hours of investing on this, finally one day I said to Justin, look at me. And he glanced up at me. I didn't know what to say. I was so thrilled. I was so shocked. Say, like, yes, Justin, you looked at me. I'm so proud of you. Oh, unspeakable joy. I, I called Ken. Justin looked at me. Shoot, man, I wasn't there. I missed it. You know, he's like, I wish I was there. But slowly he did it more and more and more. Unspeakable joy of a parent <laughs> for a simple thing. I got a glimpse that day of what God's heart must be like when I just glanced at him, when you just glanced at him. Sometimes someone has said that um, we Christians don't have these kind of intimate conversations with God because we just don't love God. I'm not sure if that's true. I think, I think it's more because we don't appreciate how much he loves us. I really do. I, I really feel like as Christians, many of us love God, but the, the, the divide is we don't appreciate how much he loves us. So we don't draw close. When we entered into an intimate prayer with God, we enter into this realm, I feel like, where eternity invades the earth. You just are opened up to a whole dimension of life that you would not see unless you're in God's presence. Um, some of you have been to the Broad Art Museum, and there's an in, infinity mirror room. I've seen lots of pictures <laughs> people post in the infinity room, and people, I've never been yet, people say, you know, it's so cool there. You just, it's so beautiful, and, and you see things, that you feel things that you wouldn't see otherwise. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like when, when, a, when um, a businessman, you know, come home after a long day of worrying about projects and budgets and money and all those things and whether things are going to work out and, and worrying, they come home and he sees his wife and the kids who comes running up to his legs and wrap his arms around his legs and he's like, 
this is what life is about. You get a new perspective when you connect with what is truly meaningful, the eternal rather than the temporal. In, um, in 2009, uh, my, our family went through a really, really difficult time um, to a point where I, I felt like I almost lost my faith um, in God. Um, and I remember sitting there one day, just, and at that point, my dad had passed away for about three years. I'm just going to hold this together. And, um, and I was just sitting there, really missing my dad because, man, I felt like, Dad, if you were here, you can protect me. You can, you'll be able to help me through this. It's weird how, you know, you have to wait till you're 50 <laughs> to really feel like you need your dad. But that was where I was. Um, thanks. <laughs> this one's. And, um, and I was just sitting there, sorry, and pr praying. And then I felt um, I was kind of ajar by the thought, I am a father to the fatherless. Um, I, I never considered myself a fa fatherless person. I mean, I, when I read fatherless in the Bible, I think of orphans. And I didn't think of that. And I guess like, I, I'm not fatherless. And I, th I thought about it and I said, I am. That's, I felt like the Spirit was saying to me, that's the poverty that you're in right now. You are sensing what it is like not to have an earthly father. And the Spirit kind of moved me to see where the deep wounds were. And then he kept whispering to me, I am a father to the fatherless. I'm a father to the fatherless. And I just sat with that. And I just felt like, yes, I do have a father. He will provide, he will protect me. He will be there. I don't know how, but he will. And that was anchoring moment that gave me the hope I needed to go on. And now eight years later, I have to say, our family's intact, all of us sitting together. I mean, that's a miracle. And I was just like, God, you are good. But in that eight years, I don't know where our family's going to end up. I have no idea. But the strength and the hope came during that time of intimacy with God when he showed me a glimpse of eternity. And he said, I've got this. I'm your father. I will protect you. These moments of deep intimacies are just beautiful and vulnerable. And when we go into prayer telling God, you know, God, I want to tell you about the mountains I'm faced with right now. They're a huge mountain and how big they are, how crazy it is. Once we do that, something happens and we will be able to come out saying, declaring to the mountains how big our God is. Our perspectives change. We're no longer looking at the wrong things. We're looking at things with the eternity perspective. John 10.10 says, I have come so that they might have life, life to the full. Salvation is when we get our foot in the door 
but the rest of our lives is to spend time with him. You know, you never go visit a friend, ring the doorbell, they come open the door and you say hi, and then you turn around and walk away. You don't do that, but in prayer, we tend to do that all the time. We go to our quiet times and we sit there, hi God, da 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 da, oh, gotta go. But that's not a relationship. Augustina Hippo said that to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek Him is the greatest adventure. And then to find Him is the greatest human achievement. I've been praying all week for all of you that at this moment, God will just fill up this room with His presence, that you will know Him that you know him, that you know, that you know him, and that he loves you. Shall we pray? If you feel the spirit tugging at your heart to want to have this kind of prayer conversations with him, I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer. I'm even going to ask the worship team not to come up. I want you to spend this time with God as well. And just, and this time that I'm going to lead you through is going to be a bit of uh, silence time and then um, reflecting on two questions and then another period of silence. So get comfortable where you're at and let's pray. Begin this prayer time just telling God where you're at now, as you are whatever situation you're in that needs his revelation, his intervention, tell him that. Usually that is where he wants during this first period of silence. Now ask God this question. Ask him to tell you who he is. Tell me who you are, God, and what you're like. Our God has many names. Which one does he want to show you and share with you this morning? See if a word surface and sit with that for a little bit. He might even be singing a song over you. Enjoy that.
tell me who you are and what you're like. The next question is, ask God how he feels about you. God, how do you feel about me? Right now, this very second. God is whispering. Lean in to his chest and listen. Now just sit in silence and just take in whatever you sense or heard from him. No hurry, no striving, just surrender and be. Lastly, respond to him about what he showed you. Whatever he shared with you, whether it's something to do, who you are, to be, to share, to act, to commit, whatever it is, how would you want to respond to him? You can tell him you're not ready. That's okay. But you heard him. It's okay. You're looking at him. Oh, he's so happy. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, thank you for revealing God's heart to your sons and daughters this morning. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Worship team.